0: Listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit stonegate.church. Okay, so today we are finishing chapter 14. And the end of chapter 14 is the end of a section of this letter. And the section that we're in starts in chapter 11, goes all the way to chapter 14, and it's dealing with the gathered church. Like what happens in a moment like this when our church is gathered together? It's Paul addressing that. Then when you get to chapter 12, Paul narrows the focus on the gathering to say, okay, now we're going to talk in these three chapters, 12, 13, and 14, about what happens when the church gathers, just like this, and spiritual gifts. How should spiritual gifts operate in the life of a church when it gathers? That's what he's addressing in chapters 12, 13, and 14. So you get to chapter 12, verse 1, and Paul starts uh, this section off these three chapters by saying, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. That's Paul's introduction to this section. And just like most of the letter, Paul's addressing questions and issues that are coming out of uh, this church. And he's just pastoring them through their dysfunctions, through their problems, and in particular in this section, through their problems around spiritual gifts. So he's just writing to encourage this church and us. He's writing to correct the church in Corinth and us, right, concerning spiritual gifts. So here's what I want to do today. I'm going to take chapters 12, 13, and 14, this section that we've been in for the last few weeks, and I want to give you seven summary statements on spiritual gifts. Just to sort of tie all this together in these three chapters, seven statements about spiritual gifts, I want to leave this section, uh, I want to leave these statements with you. So seven statements. Here's the first. This is going to start in chapter 12. So if you want to move back to chapter 12. Chapter 12. Here's the first thing we see in chapter 12 is that God gives gifts. We have a generous God. He is a gift-giving God. Now, the primary uh, grace gift or or the primary gift that God gives is found in Romans 6.23. It's this beautiful passage where it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the primary gift of the of the Bible. It is Jesus. It's God sending his beloved son Jesus to a bloody cross, and there he received the wages of your sin, the wages of my sin. He got the very death that we deserve. That's the ultimate grace gift in the Bible. And it's from that gift of Jesus that then every other gift flows from the heart of God, including spiritual gifts. Now, what are spiritual gifts? Let me throw this definition back on the screen for you. Here are spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are God-given abilities that enable us to do for others what we could not do on our own. That's what a spiritual gift is. It's God-given. You don't muster up the strength to do like these things. They're they're gifts given to you by God that flow from the generous heart of God. They're God-given abilities or empowerments. They enable you to do what you could otherwise not do on your own. That's a spiritual gift. It's an empowerment from God. And spiritual gifts are for others. God-given abilities that enable us to do for others what we could not do on our own. God's gifted his people so that then you can turn around and be a blessing to the world, right, to the nations, to your neighborhood, for for you to be a blessing to God's church, to build, to strengthen, to bless God's church. This is why God has given us spiritual gifts. They're God-given abilities that enable us to do for others what we could not do on our own. Now, the Bible has several different lists in it of these gifts, Uh, when you put all those together, it it, uh, tells us about 20 of them. Now, those 20 gifts that are listed uh, are not exhaustive. They're they're not meant to be a complete list. I I think of them as like, uh, they're a sampling on the spiritual gift menu. Uh, They kind of get us started in all the gifts that God bestows on his church. And uh, let me name these gifts for you again. A few weeks ago, we defined all of these, but uh, let me just name them. Here are the 20 that we see show up in the scriptures. Uh, We've got the gift of prophecy. Of service, of teaching, of exhortation, of giving, of leadership, of mercy, of words of knowledge, words of wisdom, faith, healing, miracles, tongues, the interpretation of tongues, distinguishing between spirits, apostleship, shepherding, helps, administration, evangelism. That's just a sampling of the gifts that God has bestowed on his church. And can we just say to God today, church, isn't God gracious with us? I mean, God has just, he's bestowed all of these gifts and more upon our church. God gives gifts. Here's the second thing I want you to see is that God's gifted you. He's gifted you. The God who gives gifts has also gifted you. It is possible for a person to be sitting here today and to say and even believe with me, yes, I know that God gives gifts. It's possible for a person to say that and even for that person to say, you know what? I can see and celebrate those gifts in this person's life and in that person's life. I can see and celebrate all of that. It's, person for, it's possible for a person to say all of that while at the same time looking in the mirror and saying, but I can't see any gifts in me. I think God must have skipped over me when he was giving gifts, It's possible for a person to affirm that, yes, there are such a thing as spiritual gifts. God does give them to his church. And I just, I don't think I have any. But let me just remind you of verse 7. To each, right, to to every single follower of Jesus. Chapter 12, verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To, To each, to every single follower of Jesus. So I just want you, look, make eye contact with me here. I, I want you to, to just feel and sense this from the Lord. It is not just God saying, I've given the church collectively spiritual gifts. Them and that person, that. No, it's God looking at you and saying, I have gifted you. Every single Christian has at least one spiritual gift. No one has everything, but everyone has something you, if you're a follower of Jesus, have been gifted by God. You, you have a spiritual gift. There is no such thing in the New Testament as a giftless Christian. Those don't exist. Every single follower of Jesus has one. Let me just encourage you again on how do you find your spiritual gifts. Here are the best two ways to find them. Number one is for you to jump in, for you to serve, the body of Christ. That that is the best way for you to do it because as you're serving, here's what's gonna happen. Your gifts are gonna have a way of finding you. You're gonna have a way of stepping into moments and you're gonna see, oh, this is the way I step into it. This is how I bless people. This is how I serve people. This is how I build people up. As you jump into service moments and opportunities, you're gonna find that your gifts find you. So if you're not serving somewhere right now, you should like today jump on that. You can meet our connect team. We would love to take that step with you. So one is jump in. And then secondly, is to let others speak in. The worst kind of assessment, the most inaccurate kind of assessment is self-assessment, right? You, you looking in the mirror and just coming to the conclusion that I'm gifted this way is a very inaccurate form of figuring out your gifts, right? It just doesn't work that way. You, you taking a spiritual gifts test and you filling it out And you shaping that test so that you end up with the gifts you want is not a very good way for you to find your spiritual gifts. But here's a wonderful way for you to do it is to ask some people around you, how do you see these gifts from God showing up in my life? I would just encourage any of our groups to take a meeting here soon. And uh, you're you're all together and you just go person by person. Hey, how do we see the the gifts of the Spirit showing up in this person's life? Then this person, then this person. This is one of the ways that we can find our spiritual gifts is letting people speak in. We jump in, we start serving somewhere, your gifts are gonna find you and then letting others speak in. God, friend, has gifted you. You have spiritual gifts given to you by God. Thirdly, God's gifts need clothes. We now are to chapter 13. Paul wants to make sure we all are seeing this. God's gifts are not meant to be naked. They are meant to be clothed. Uh, Chapter 13 is one of the most beautiful chapters in the Bible, which is why you often hear it read at weddings and sort of moments like that. But the context for chapter 13 is not marriage. It is the church, the bride of Christ, As she gathers, just like we're doing on on a Sunday for us. This is the context of chapter 13. And Paul's point in chapter 13 is to say, however you're gifted, whatever that is in your life, those gifts need clothes. That They should not be naked. They should be clothed in love. That's his point in this chapter. So it starts out in verse 1. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. This is Paul saying, listen, man, it, it, let's just take your gift of, of tongues. You got the gift of Tongues? But it's not dressed in love. It is worthless to God. It is of no help to anyone if it's not dressed in love. Then he goes on to verse 2. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith. So even as to remove mountains. That's some serious faith, isn't it? Even to remove mountains. But have not love, I am nothing. That is God through Paul saying, hey, let's take your gift of prophecy. Let's take your gift of knowledge. Let's take your gift of faith, even this extreme faith. If it is naked, then it is worth nothing. It is useless to God. It is worthless to God. Then he goes on in verse three. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, I mean, that's serious generosity, right? But have not love, then I gain nothing. Again, Paul's saying if if the gift of generosity is showing up naked, then it is worth nothing. It's it's useless. Uh, I oftentimes think about preaching gifts this way. Uh, When I'm around young pastors who love to preach, I look at them and I'll say something like this. There is a difference between preaching because you love to preach and preaching because you love people. One is worthless to God and to people. The other is precious to God. So so make sure that preaching gift, it gets clothed in a lot of love because that's how you make it precious to people. And you can just take it the ways that you're gifted. Paul is saying here, make sure it is clothed in love. Make sure it's wearing the right clothes, church family. Church family, don't we want to be known not just as a people with power, with spiritual giftings, but as a people who know how to love? Don't you want that for our church? so want that for our church to be known by our love. And this is what Paul is saying here. Make sure these gifts are clothed in love. Here's the fourth thing I want you to see. This takes us now to chapter 14. God's gifts are to be desired. God wants you to desire these gifts. So look at uh, chapter 14, verse 1. Paul says, "'Pursue love.'" That's Paul saying, hey, get the clothes on your gifts. No naked gifts. Get get the clothes on them. Pursue love. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, here is what Paul is wanting the church in Corinth to feel. He, He is wanting them to have a heart that is looking up to God and saying, God, we need you. Holy Spirit, we need you to bestow upon us all of your gifts. We desperately need that. This is what he's wanting us to feel, Stonegate. He's wanting us to look up at God and say to God, God, we need all of your gifts to show up here. We need them all, every single one of them. We need them bestowed upon our church. Why? Well, because what God calls a church to do is beyond human doing." It, what God calls the church to do actually requires the power of God. It doesn't just require like some good human ingenuity, some smart people. No, it requires the power of God. And it's through these gifts, these spiritual gifts that God enables, that he empowers ordinary people to do extraordinary things. So Paul says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. That's a command. Isn't that Interesting. Paul is saying, church, I'm gonna command you to do something. Here it is, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. I love that word earnestly. It's a way of amplifying desire. It's not just desire, it's earnestly desire spiritual gifts. There is a way for you to want something and there is a way for you to want something. And Paul is saying, I want you to want, like deep down in your gut want all the spiritual gifts to show up in your life and in the life of your church. So it says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And then he puts on this phrase, especially that you may prophesy. Now, I love that last phrase because it shows us that spiritual gifts in our life are not static. Uh, Rather, spiritual gifts in our lives are dynamic. So in your life, you can operate for a long time and like, not see certain gifts show up in your life. And then all of a sudden, God puts you in a certain season and in a certain situation, and you watch these gifts come to life in you. Like like God bestows them in a fresh season in your life in a really new and fresh ways. They're dynamic in this way. And, And Paul's normalizing that. He's saying, yeah, this should be an expectation in our life in that certain seasons and in certain situations, new gifts are going to show up in our life. In this context, he's saying, if you don't have the gift of prophecy, right, that's the ability to share something that God brings to mind. If you don't have that gift, then then here we are in a season, he's saying to the church, where you should earnestly desire that. I I want you to want that gift in particular. And I want you to, to ask the Lord for it and see what the Lord has. Friend, if you don't have the gift of evangelism right now, Paul's saying, I I want you to ask the Lord. Lean in and ask the Lord for that gift. If you don't have maybe a shepherding gift in the way that you would want right now, Paul's saying, lean into that. Ask the Lord for it. See what the Lord has. Let the Lord surprise you in the way he bestows gifts on you. If you don't have the gift of generosity or maybe it's encouragement and exhortation, Paul's saying, I want you to earnestly desire it. I want you to ask Jesus for those gifts. Because you might be in a season where these gifts need to come alive so that you can serve other people, so that you can pour out those gifts for the good of other people. You know, I oftentimes think in my own life, what sort of giftings am I missing out on right now in my life just because I'm not asking the Lord for them, just not asking the Lord to, to give me those right now? Church, let's not be guilty of that. Let's be people who take God at his word here and let's go after these things. Let's earnestly desire the the spiritual gifts. Let's ask the Lord to bring these into our life in certain seasons, in certain situations so that we can serve others in just the most beautiful of ways. God's gifts are to be desired. Here's the fifth thing I want you to see. Again, we're in chapter 14 now. Is that God's gifts need maturity. They need maturity. Now, this takes us really to the problem of chapter 14. Here's the problems going off in this church. Spiritual gifts had become an occasion to show off, not to serve others. That's what was happening in the church in Corinth. Uh, They had put too much emphasis, too much importance on some gifts like tongues. And all the way to the point where these spiritual gifts that should be a blessing to the church were now actually uh, disruptive and counterproductive to the life of the church. Or maybe we could say it this way. Here's the problem in the Corinthian church. They were abusing spiritual gifts. They were abusing them. Now, what would you say to a church, if if you're in Paul's place, what would you say to a church that is abusing spiritual gifts? Just overemphasizing them, just giving them uh, too much importance, uh, certain gifts too much importance in the life of the church. What, What would you say to them? My tendency would be to say something like this. Let's pump the brakes around here. Let, let's slow this thing down. Let's even put a moratorium on spiritual gifts for a minute, so we can get this thing under control. That that would sort of be my tendency, but that is not what Paul says. Paul looks at these people who are abusing spiritual gifts, and he says this: I actually want you to desire them even more. Hey, uh, you church, you abusing spiritual gifts, earnestly desire those gifts. Go, go after. Ask the Lord for those gifts. It almost seems to me like Paul is pouring gasoline on the fire here, right? And the fire's out of control. And he's just heaping gasoline onto it. Now, why does Paul respond like this? I think this is the answer in this text. Because when spiritual gifts are being abused, spiritual gifts are never the problem. Immaturity is the problem. And that's what he's going to address. Paul doesn't want to cut spiritual gifts out of the church. He wants to put maturity into the church. So he says in verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 14, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Uh, That's Paul saying, would you please grow up, church? Uh, Grow up here. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. Right, And this is what Paul is doing in these chapters, 12, 13, and 14. He is pastoring this church toward maturity in their giftings. So he's just going to talk to him about these things. He's looking at the church and saying, church in Corinth, tongues are way over here. This one particular spiritual gift is outsized in this church. So Paul right-sizes that gift. He's looking at this church and uh, the, 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 their gifts are naked. They just don't have the right clothes on. So, so Paul says 1 Corinthians 13 to him. says, I want you to get the right clothes onto these gifts. Uh, Paul is looking at a church who is using gifts to show off, not to serve others, and he says, listen, that is, the wrong, that, that is not the reason God has given you those gifts. God's given you those gifts so that you can build up other people. He's just pastoring them toward maturity. Paul shows us here that the answer to any problem with spiritual gifts is not to abandon the gifts, but to add maturity, in church, we want to be mature in the way that we express our gifts, right? We all want to be mature in this way. We want to be biblical in the way we express our gifts. We want to be humble in the way we express our gifts. We want it to be others-oriented in the way that we express our gifts. God's gifts need maturity. Sixth statement. And this takes us to our text this morning that you just heard read a few minutes ago. Is that God's gifts have guardrails. God has placed guardrails around his gifts. So when a church gathers, just like we're doing again this morning, God has given some guardrails for how gifts are going to be expressed and shown in these gatherings. And he really gives us two guardrails throughout these uh, chapters. The first guardrail is edification. It's got to be about building others up. So you see this in verse 26. What then, brothers, Paul says, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Then he says this, let all things, everything that happens when you gather, let all things be done for building up. This this was Jimmy's sermon last week. He rightly preached the point of the first kind of half of 1 Corinthians 14. When we gather together, it is always we over me. We should always be coming in with an eye toward how can we bless some people around here? How can we use our gifts to encourage and to strengthen and refresh people around here? How can we do that? It's, it's we over me. So edification is one guardrail. Then here's the other guardrail. It's order. So when we come together, here's the guardrails. Edification on one side has got to be about building up. And on the other side, it's order. Now you see this in verse 40. Paul says, but all things should be done decently and in order. Now, this church had a lot of problems going on, right? So, they show up at communion and people are getting drunk at communion. You know you have a serious problem as a church when that's going down, right? Uh, There's a guy in this church who is sleeping with his stepmom. You know you got a problem when a church is looking at that and celebrating that, not correcting that, right? You you know you got problems. And and here was their other problem, is spiritual gifts were just, they were uncontrolled, They, they their services had just descended into chaos. Everybody was so concerned about getting to show and express their spiritual gifts that they had lost all sense of order. So Paul says, all things should be done decently and in order. Now, what would that look like? He applies it to tongues and prophecy. And watch how it works here. First, he addresses tongues. Look at verse 27. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only Two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let me just point out a couple of things from this. Again, this is a guardrail. This is Paul saying, "I'm going to prioritize order in our gathered uh, church." And so let me point out a couple of things here. Number one, notice that word "if" in verse 27: "If any speak in a tongue." Paul permits tongues when the church gathers, that gift to show up, but Paul does not mandate that that gift shows up when the church gathers. And uh, when I think about spiritual gifts just in the life of our church family, uh, spiritual gifts should be exercised in our church. Every spiritual gift should have a place, but that doesn't mean the best or the primary place is in our Sunday morning gatherings. Now, why is that? Because I, I think the primary sort of context for spiritual gifts is in the context of relationships, not events. The, the primary way spiritual gifts are expressed is you, in particular, relating to other people. That, that's the primary place. And, and that place that we are relating to other people most often is happening in our small groups across our church, in smaller settings throughout our church. You know, even think about the church size dynamics of Stonegate versus the church in Corinth. This church in Corinth was probably about 100 people. When they gathered, it had about that many people. That would be the equivalent of kind of our smaller sort of group settings across Stonegate. It's that type of settings that are the best context for these types of gifts to show up. So we would prioritize these gifts showing up in that smaller setting, not our Sunday morning gatherings. So there's the word if. Number two, he says, if the gift of tongues does show up uh, when the church gathers, it should only be in small doses. So two, maybe three at most, and they're gonna be one at a time. Now just notice, Paul, order is important enough for Paul that he will restrict some people getting to express their gifts for the sake of that order. He's like, even if it could be encouraging for the church to hear some of those gifts play out. He says, no, only two, only three, one at a time. Paul order, that guardrail is important enough to Paul for him to restrict how gifts are going to show up. So he says, if the gift of tongues shows up uh, when the church is gathered, it's small doses, two, three, one at a time. And then thirdly, he says, the gift of tongues should only show up when the church gathers if the gift of interpretation is there and available and present. And if the gift of interpretation is not there, present and available, Paul's like, listen, that gift of tongues, you praying to God should be expressed between you and God. It shouldn't be a public display of that gifting. So Paul is saying, he's putting a guardrail around tongues for the sake of order. Then he turns to prophecy. See this in verse 29. He says, "'Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged.'" And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So, in a very similar way, Paul's gonna restrict. He's gonna put some guardrails for the sake of control. He's gonna say, number one, only two or three, the most three. Uh, then, number two, he says, only one at a time. So, it's gonna be orderly if, if, if it shows up. And then, thirdly, he says, if the gift of prophecy shows up in a gathering, then whatever said should be weighed. It should be weighed. Now, again, in our context, I don't think that Sunday morning is the best place for the gift of tongues or the gift of prophecy to show up. But the gift of prophecy does have a place within our church. Uh, There's several places for it. First, there's one-on-one. And this is happening all across our church all the time. It's uh, the Lord gives an impression to someone, and then they share that with another person uh, to build them up and to encourage them. It's happening all the time across our church family. So it's one-on-one. Secondly, it's in community in our smaller settings across our church family. If you lead a group, uh, this would be such a a good thing for you to do. If your group is going to spend some time praying together, uh, as you pray, why, why not start that moment of prayer by asking, hey, has the Spirit of God put anything on anybody's heart that they would like to pray or share? Just a good opportunity for the gift of prophecy to sort of work itself out and to bless your group. Uh, If you're going to pray for someone in particular, uh, why not start by saying, hey, why don't we spend just a few seconds here before we pray for them to ask the Lord for anything in particular he would want us to pray, to encourage this brother or sister, to strengthen, uh, to encourage this brother or sister. So it's the gift of prophecy showing up there in community. And then thirdly, there is a corporate dynamic to it. If the Lord gives you impressions or a word or um, something that would be helpful for our church as a whole, if it's brought to us with humility, our elders love to hear these moments and these things. It's one of the ways that God speaks to our church as a whole. So it's another way uh, for it to show up. Now we get to verse 33. And this is where the wheels fall off right here. All right. Verse 33b, Paul says, As in all the churches of the saints... 34, the women should keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak but should be in submission as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, uh, let me just say this first of all, I love preaching through books of the Bible because it keeps us honest. It helps us preach through everything the Bible has to say, not just the things that are easy for me to preach or easy for you to hear right? And when we come to a hard text, we have to be, we all have to sack our hands on this. We are going to submit ourselves to the scriptures, every single one of us. There's things in the Bible that I I don't love, and I have to come to with a sense of, God, I'm submitting to you, who I know has my best at heart in this moment. And then thirdly, let me just say this about this text. It's not actually as bad as it sounds on the surface, all right? (laughs) So, What is Paul talking about here? Uh, We know that Paul can't mean that women should never speak in the church. We know that because in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul instructs women on how to pray and prophesy when the church gathers. So it would be really weird if three chapters earlier, Paul's like, let me show you how to do it. And then in 14, he's like, uh, hey, I actually changed my mind. Uh, about about that talking in the church. We're not, that would be really weird. So we know it can't mean that. So this is a moment when we realize that, oh, Paul has said, yeah, I want ladies to to speak in a church and this is how. And then we hear him say something like this, that we have to be committed to say, okay, we have to step into this now to figure out what is going on. So so what's happening here? So um, these verses, starting in verse 33b, are connected to those right before it. And what is right before it is Paul working out guardrails for the gift of prophecy. If prophecy is going to show up on a Sunday morning, Paul gives us the guardrails. Number one, only two or three. Number two, only one at a time. Number three, if the gift of prophecy shows up on a Sunday morning, it has to be weighed. It must be weighed in the church gathering. Now, I agree with the majority of conservative commentators when they come to verse 34, uh, when it says the women should keep silent in churches, that what verse 34 is specifically and and directly applied to is the weighing of prophecies when a church is gathered. That's the context for, the specific and direct context for what Paul is addressing in verses 33 and 34. It's that specific weighing of prophecies when the church is gathered. So if I were going to paraphrase verses 33 and 34, this is the way I would paraphrase it. Ladies, if prophecies are given when the church gathers, don't be the public disputer of those prophecies. Uh, Don't be the one publicly debating if it's from God or not, because that's the job or that's the role reserved for elders or pastors in the church, That would be my paraphrase of what Paul is getting at. Now, when you understand it that way, it actually makes what Paul is saying here in this text very consistent with what he says throughout the New Testament. In 1 Timothy, uh, Paul reserves one role, only one role in the life of the church for, for qualified men. And that is the role of elder or pastors. So we would look at our church and and our ladies in our church and say, of course our ladies can use their gifts across our church family. Let's just take the gift of teaching. Of course, ladies across our church family can use their gift of teaching. We've got some of our best teachers in the church are ladies in our church. So so we want that teaching uh, being used throughout our church. But there's just one moment when the church gathers on Sunday morning that carries unique authority reserved for only elders or only pastors. And this is what Paul is addressing in this passage this morning. Paul's saying that weighing of prophecies when a church gathers, like we're doing right now on a Sunday morning, carries that same sort of teaching authority that would be reserved for uh, elders or pastors. So I think that's what he's getting at. Now, let me just take a step back and say this to all of our ladies again. You have access to all the gifts of the Spirit. There's not like one of these gifts that that, that don't apply to you. You, All of these gifts are available to all of our ladies, and we want you to use your gifts in all of the appropriate ways across our church family, both publicly and privately, from the sage and one-on-one to bless and to build and to strengthen our church family. Okay, that's the guardrails. Now I'm going to finish here. The seventh statement. Seventh statement. The last statement I just want to leave you with is this. God's gifts, here's what they're designed to do in your life and in my life. God's gifts are designed to get you into the game. That's why God has gifted you, to get you into the game. So let's just take a step back and marvel at this. God is writing this huge, epic story of redemption, God is redeeming people from every nation, tongue, and tribe. It's, it is an amazing story that God is writing. He's committed, God, the story of redemption, He's committed to making everything new. You know, like everything broken in your life? God is committing to making all those things new one day. Everything is broken. He's committed to fixing those things. Bit by bit, God is bringing more of heaven down to earth. And one day, Jesus is going to split the sky, and he is going to bring the new heavens and the new earth down to this earth, and it's going to be amazing forever. That's the story that's being written right now by God. And friends, if you are in Christ, God has written you into that story of redemption, And friend, if you are in Christ, God has poured his gifts into your life so that you would have a role to play in the story. You're not the main character. Jesus is the main character. But God has given every one of us roles to play out there on the field. He's called us to get into the game with our gifts And I said this a few weeks ago, but I just want to say it again to you. I think this is the reason that so many of us are bored in our walk with God right now. It's because we have been given all of these gifts and God has invited us into this huge epic story that He's writing. But, But rather than being out there on the field, playing the game, we are sitting in the stands. We're sitting over here watching all of these other people out there playing, wondering why it is that we're bored. And God is looking at us and saying, Listen, friend, I have gifted you. You specifically I have gifted you in these ways because I have a role for you to play. There's things for you to do out there on the field. God is looking at us and saying, I did not design you for the stands. No, friend, I have made you, equipped you, empowered you and gifted you to be in the game. So Stonegate, can we all get in the game? Can we all do that? Can we just take these three chapters as an invitation from the Lord to get into the game with Him, to use our gifts for the glory of God and the good of other people? Amen. Why don't you bow with me? I want to give you just a moment to allow the Spirit of God to talk to you this morning. The gift of the Bible, the gift is Jesus. So friends, if you haven't taken Jesus today, would you do that right now? This this is your moment to receive the greatest gift in the universe. There where you are right now, you can call out to the Lord. You can throw your life upon him, turning from your sin, hurling your life upon the perfect life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus would save you right now. Don't walk out of here leaving that gift unopened. And then for the rest of us in the room, God has gifted you to get you into the game. So so here needs to be the commitment of every one of us today. If we aren't serving someplace right now across our church family, I'm not leaving here today without getting some clarity on where and how I'm going to serve. I'm going to get in the game. Now, I'm going to get out of the stands, onto the field, using my gifts for the glory of God, for the good of people. So God, would you come now and visit us? God, would you be at work right now in this room, showing us what our gifts are, and then moving us toward people, toward this epic story of redemption that you're writing in the world. To to bless people, to strengthen your church, to build your church. Oh God, would you do it? It's in your good name. Amen.